So I think this is the first season of Trek About Presents where I really didn't get much out of seeing these movies again. You know, it, except for my dinner with Andre. Yeah, of course. And in a way, I, I do wonder if we had seen, you know, saved that for the end. You know, if we'd done the Kevin Smith first, if, what what our conversation about Andre would have been. You know, but either way, yeah, these movies were very much from. Again, I'm from New Jersey. I'm from you know. So this this is where I was and. Around the time I was a teenager when these movies were coming out. So this is very much something I imprinted on. Seeing them as an adult and especially seeing Chasing Amy as an adult gay man, um, it's very – I don't know. I, I can't say I liked the, these movies. I can't say they taught me anything about life. And yet I think it was very interesting rewatching them and I think it, I think we're going to have a very interesting time talking – you know, actually examining Chasing Amy. Because I think one of the big things we need to think about for Chasing Amy is, again, let's go back to – so this was 97? Yeah. So 1997, this is a straight dude from New Jersey, working class New Jersey, making a movie about gay people and you know, making a movie for other straight guys in New Jersey maybe and who may not know any gay people. I mean we need to make it very clear that – you know. No, but I was the only gay dude who was out, you know, at all through college for mo- in most of my group. You know, it's weird because, like, watching this movie, it really made me realize how long ago 1997 yeah. was. And I think we have to look at it in that context because it's – I don't know. It's it's weird because, like, you know, you have to put it in a, in a sort of historical context. You have to think about what was going on in, in American culture in 1997. I mean, this is the same year that – uh, uh, the big Ellen thing happened. Oh, yeah. Ellen came out. And, you know, so so that is kind of the other thing about this as well. I mean, it's really interesting to look back at the kind of conversations that they were having in this movie surrounding the difference between the popular conception of lesbians and gay men, yes. for example, which I think has, has really shifted in the past 20 years. And I, I don't think that... Uh, you know, as as you know, straight culture, straight people have gotten more comfortable with the idea of you know out gay men and and out you know out gay couples and things like that. I, I and get you know more comfortable with demonstrations of you know gay male you know sexuality and gay male uh, 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 just a, you know affection. Images, yeah, I think that that lesbians in general now are sort of. I don't know. No one talks about lesbians. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because I think that in a way that's a good thing and in a way it's kind of not a good thing. Yeah. I mean th- th- this is a conversation that's directly talked about in the movie. Um, Hooper, who is the black gay character, who we will definitely have a conversation about. But um, he, is the, he says, you know, being a gay man, especially being a black gay man, that's something you never see. Everybody's comfortable with the idea of a pretty lipstick lesbian. Which is still true. Of of course. And- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let, let's be, you know, I mean, and this is the thing. I mean, most of the people that are listening to, to our podcasts uh, assumedly are straight because most people are straight. And so, yeah, like black gay men are still yeah. very well, that was not one, around. One of the reasons I really liked um, – uh, uh, the show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was because one of the main characters is a, 
you know. I mean, I guess somebody had to. It wasn't the best show, and but it it was the kind of thing where, as a whole, it was not great, but all the performances were excellent. And it, I thought it was really nice that they had a black gay male character, one who is, you know, and yes, he is an effeminate gay character in that way, but they also take him very seriously and do not make him the punchline. He... Having lived in New York City and met many people who, you know, were like him, it was very nice to see that kind of a person. Sure. You know, that that it, it felt like an accurate portrayal of an actual person done, you know, with tenderness. And Hooper X, I will, uh, is going to be, <laughs> whether he is a affectionate, you know, portrayal of an actual character, I mean, that's, again, I don't know. I don't know. He's a very troubling character. He's supposed to be. And I'm not sure... I don't know. There's, I don't know. There's a weird, there's a weird thing about chasing Amy where, you know, let's step back for a second and, and talk yeah. about this in context with, with Kevin Smith's career and where it was at this point, because, you know, we talked about Mallrats last week, you know, that was his big budget movie that cost something like $6 million to make, you know, he, he got some big actors in it and chasing Amy. I mean, and that was a flop. I mean, it, it, it lost yeah. money. It did not do well. And, you know, for good reason, because it's a terrible movie, but Chasing Amy was sort of his I, I feel like Chasing Amy is an okay movie and I think that there are parts of it that really do shine and there are parts of it that feel adult and thought through yeah. and well written and well acted. There are other parts of it where Kevin Smith is he's really going to his baser instincts again and I think that my main problem with Chasing Amy is it's okay but if this is the movie that Kevin Smith makes when his back is to the wall and he really has to prove himself again there's a reason why he's not a great talent. Yeah. And again, he really does not have the luxury of saying it, you know, he doesn't have the luxury of saying actors at this point. When we had clerks, we could say these were people who couldn't quite handle the material. Now, this was Ben Affleck before he, when he was on the cusp of becoming Ben Affleck. Had a, Goodwill Hunting come out at this point quite yet? I it was like the same year. Yeah, I think. Um, and he also wasn't huge in Goodwill Hunting. No, so. of course. But either way, I mean, we we in 2016 know that Ben Affleck is going to become a star, and you know, yeah, I mean, so, Batman versus Superman came out, <laughs> you know, a month or two ago, and that's yeah. But you know, either way, so yeah, it's not like a, you know Ben Affleck can't handle the material. Jason Lee is not the best actor, but he can play this character. Joey Lawyer and Adams does very well as this character. Like, everybody... Well, act- I mean, there are scenes, especially when, where they're arguing, where I'm just like, whoa, tone it down. Like, this is a little too... But that's, you know, that's my thing. Like, I, I wish that this were in the hands of a... a you know, he had written the script and given, him, given it to somebody to rewrite and then given it to an actual director. I, I can picture that movie being so much better. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. And, I, you know, it's interesting because looking at his directing style in this movie, you know, there are a lot of close-ups of characters in Chasing Amy where the camera is just a little too close. And I don't think it's for any particular reason. Yeah. I just think that Kevin Smith doesn't exactly know where to put a camera, to be frank. And, and you know, there, there are weird... Um, framing choices in this movie. He does the thing again where he's in a car and the camera's panning back and forth quickly to to get a two-shot of the characters. It's just not great. And it's certainly not bad, and it's certainly not like Kevin Smith is an incompetent director. And I feel bad for, for, you know, keep harping on this every time we talk about a Kevin Smith movie because it does seem kind of churlish because directing is not really the point of a Kevin Smith movie. But 
when it is noticeably poor, I, I, I do have to mention it because it does affect how I watch the movie. Well, that's the thing. Kevin Smith is like a singer-songwriter who has an okay voice who can sort of play the guitar, but really he's, he's doing the songwriting. It's just, you know, he happens to perform his own stuff. You know, maybe if yeah. it were covered by – like if somebody were to remake Chasing Amy, would it, maybe it could be a good movie. Right, and I, you know, and I don't know how you could remake this movie in twenty years context, later. Of course, no. I mean, the it's really interesting how the in a way the terms of sexuality have completely changed. I mean, the word bisexual is not mentioned in this. The you know terms like pansexual or whatever were are not even like on the radar. Really, I mean, these are people who are living in living a gay life in New York City. They are going to be on the edge of you know whatever. You know, queer theory terms are pretty current, uh, and, and none of them say it. Part of the point is, I mean, I, the movie very specifically, it does address bisexual erasure, and I think it very— Does it, though? Be, it, it, it does. I, I would say, yes, it partially in the way that it avoids the topic very pointedly, but they make it clear that, for example, she, you know, she can't just—she never says that she's bisexual, even though she, you know, does sleep with both men and women, and— she fears being ostracized from her lesbian friends. That is what happens when she starts mm. sleeping with a man and things like that. She's not allowed to be, you know, she has this great speech where she says, you know, oh, I'm attracted to the person. I started dating women because I wanted to, you know, see, I, I didn't want to limit myself. And I mean, that sounds great, but she can't say that in the queer community in this movie. Yeah, but I think, I mean, there's a couple things there. You know, I, she never says, I'm attracted to the person, number one. And and that's very, I think that's, you know, for a very, I want to make that Fair. clear because yes. that's kind of a different thing than what the movie is saying. You know, and also we don't really ever get a sense that she's been ostracized from her lesbian group. I mean, she there knows, is. She does say that. There, she, does she say that? Well, when she's dating, you know, there is that one scene when they're all drinking wine and like. You I know, mean, to be clear, I checked out at some points of this movie because, you know, I yeah. was just checking Twitter on my phone because hmm. really. Well, you did. There's the one scene where she's hanging with her friends and, you know, she. Yeah, that scene. But but it's not. And like, then late then then in a later scene. um it's actually the scene where she says, you know, well, you know, I, I started dating women because I wanted to look everywhere. You know, that scene. Uh, he begins – He she says something at the beginning like, well, I've been thinking about it a lot. My friends aren't talking to me, so I've had a lot of time to think, and here's what I've come up with. Oh, OK. Yes. And, and, you know, obviously by the end of the movie when she, you know, she does – you know, it's implied that she has, you know, gotten back together with her friends and, you know – Oh, I just had it was a weird phase I was going through is how she, you know, may portray it or maybe, you know, she does explain, you know, I thought I loved him and I, you know, what however she explains it, you know, however she it, it is implied that she does, you know, get back together with her friends and maybe there is hope for, you know. Yeah. The maybe, you know, maybe that's an implication that, you know, as we see now, you know, again, you know, in 2016, sure it's not the easiest thing to be bisexual but is certainly much more of a different thing than it would have been in 1997 yeah yeah i think so well i think you know the the main problem i think with chasing amy really is that the movie is very conflicted over what whose point of view it's portraying and i think that one of my problems with it Mm -hmm. especially now Mm -hmm. I don't get a good sense of who she is as a person. I don't get a good sense of her as as yeah. having some sort of agency over what's happening to her. 
And I think that the movie would have been stronger if, if it had been told from her point of view. I understand why it wasn't because Kevin Smith yeah. is primarily making this movie, I think, to, I don't know what, work through some stuff that happened to him. That, uh, yeah. And, and, also, and that's that I found a big flaw with the movie. That There were parts of the movie that felt a little too specific where I thought that, yeah, you know— uh, the, the big Chasing Amy speech that Silent Bob makes is such a Kevin Smith moment that it has almost no relevance to anything outside, and that hurts the movie, I would say. Yeah, that scene is pretty bad. I, you know, And I think that um, – I understand why it's being told from the point of view of – what's his name? The, the Holden. Ben Affle- Holden. Uh, the Ben Affleck character, Holden, because – that's who Kevin Smith's audience is, or or at least sort of half his yeah, audience, yeah, yeah. you know. And and I, I or at get least that. it's who Kevin Smith kind of is in some ways. I mean, the, the, it's very he, he's a he's a dude from Jersey who created something. Uh, the comic that they make is called Thirty Seven, and it's implied to be you know the story of the Quick Stop. It, you know, Ben Affleck's character is a very direct Kevin Smith, you know, avatar in this movie. Yeah. So, I mean. See, I have to say, for all of the problems that I think we will be able to talk about for this movie, I don't feel like, you know, there's a degree to which I don't feel that its politics are problematic. I think it's aware that there are certain shortcomings that it has. And I think this movie is more, you know, does some to explain that, you know, the fact that a straight dude from Jersey who grew up Catholic and kind of sheltered doesn't know anything about the gay community, you know, that's, you know, you can't necessarily fault him for growing up in a sheltered environment, you know, and I think it, the scene, in, you know, when they're in the park and they're talking about, you know, the definition of sex and, you know, what counts as losing virginity, I mean, that's a sincere scene on the Ben Affleck character's part. He doesn't know anything about this. He's saying stupid stuff because, you know— Because he doesn't know, not out of malice. Exactly. I think that movie makes it clear that, you know, these are people who are coming from different walks of life in a way but still can find a common ground. I mean, that's, you know, maybe it's the old hippie in me, but I think, you know, that's how you overcome differences between people, you know, sitting and explaining and asking, asking questions and assuming the best of each other. Yeah, no, the, it, it is definitely the type of movie that assumes the best of the characters. And I think that, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with Holden, you know, acting a little no. out of sorts. And, you know, I mean, especially considering the fact, again, that this was 20 years ago. No, I, guess I, I, I don't I don't think that uh, that kind of character would be believable now. No, uh, I don't know exactly how believable that character even was 20 years ago, but. I mean, you know, at that point, but I guess thinking back on it, you know, pe- Again, people were is... shocked by the Ellen thing. I, you know, I, Remember, I re- this is the suburbs. Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's also. Do you remember what suburbs were like as far as gay people were? I mean, I guess maybe where I grew up, it was just different. I don't know. I, you know, I, I mean, things weren't bad, but everything, you know, they were like an exotic, weird species. Like the, it was, you know, such a controversial territory i mean again ellen came out that was shocking to everybody again and i also grew up i went to catholic school you know i went yeah i did too i mean so i i i don't know i i find it i mean it's i'm glad that you know it may have been different for you but for me it wasn't no and i'm not trying to like you know uh uh, poo poo your experience i'm just saying i had i had a different experience and i think that you know there is there is also a a degree to which you know, it's hard, it's hard because I think that the primary, you know, 
I don't think that Kevin Smith had bad intentions with this movie. I think that the politics and the viewpoints in the movie are respectfully done. I yeah. think that for the most part, all of the characters are treated with with respect. They treat all the characters as people. At the same time, you know, I think that there is a. I have a problem with, and I think that Kevin Smith would probably yeah. cop to this. And I don't think Kevin Smith is homophobic. He's certainly not in any way, shape, or form. I think Kevin didn't he say he's bisexual at one point? Anyway, I don't, I don't know. know, but. It's interesting because they use the word fag and faggot in this movie a lot. It bothers me. I I don't think it's necessary. They don't get to use that word. See, there was there's there's you know like there's things like that in the movie that that really do bug me about it. And yeah, it's 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 used in such a way that a movie in even in in 1997 you know would not use the n word. Right. But I mean, and I, I won't got, even say it on a podcast. I gotta be honest. That's how much I heard the word "fag." Guys like Jay, I knew a ton of guys like him who were not homophobic, but that was just a verbal tick. I'm not like, saying. Yeah, no, and, no, no, and no, I so, get that. I'm not. So saying, I guess what I'm. Well, I'm not saying that it's not realistic. I'm saying that why do we need to honor that realism in this movie? Well, here's. I will say there is a. There was a deleted scene. Now, of course, you know it was. It was indeed cut. So, you know, I yeah. know that's significant, but they are aware Holden and Alyssa do talk about, you know, saying fag and, you know, Holden, you know, says, well, you know, Hooper says it all the time. You know, you call yourself a dyke, you know, and they, you know, she talks about reclamation and, you know, we can say, you know, we can say it because it takes the hurt out of it. But, you know, someone like Banky saying it, you know, does hurt us because, you know, yeah, yeah. that kind of a thing. And so, yes, it, it's the kind of thing where. And I'm not saying that's the thing. I mean, no. I'm not saying that Kevin Smith doesn't understand. No, 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 no. I know what you mean. I, I know exactly what you mean. If that scene had been in there, it would have made it a little OK. It, may, it would have made the movie aware because I think throughout the movie, Holden does slowly become aware of how much the people are around him are just using, you know, homophobic slurs just left and right how much he has you know the jokes yeah 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 he's made you know that he isn't even realizing it It would have been not yeah it would have been nice if and there's that whole thing about banky actually being gay which all right whatever but you know i i don't i never knew how i felt about that because on the one hand i mean it is kind of an inevitability you know kevin smith has made three movies which focus very specifically on you know a bond between two men and you know, one which is extraordinarily close, perhaps even closer than they have with the women in their life. So, yes, you know, an iteration of that, you know, is going to have sexuality involved into that. You know, maybe yeah. that's not the case with, you know, Randall and Dante's relationship or T.S. and Brody's relationship. But in this case, that happens to be. Um, well, I think it's making explicit, you know, what we said, you know, even in Clark. Yeah. You know, where that one character, you know, yeah, he might actually yeah. be gay. Uh, and I think that, that... Or he may be, you know... Kevin like, Smith finally figured that out and decided to make a, a you know, quote-unquote heterosexual pairing, uh, a male pairing, that one of them actually is gay and in love with the other one. I mean, and it could even be as, you know, the this movie does argue for a argue that sexuality is complicated and cannot perhaps be you know, defined for everybody. And, you know, for some people it may be that's the case, but, yeah. you know, I, I, I think it would be, you know, for example, you know, Randall may want to have sex with Dante, but no other man, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Like that may, you know, that kind of a thing. I mean, I think, I, 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 I don't know. Does that, it's the kind of thing where I do like that they made a movie where, you know, 
I like that they leave the Jason Lee character's reaction kind of ambiguous. Uh, you know, Ben Affleck kisses him. He doesn't really – all of his reaction is internal. You know, he says he's going to do this three-way at the end. You know, when Alyssa says no, he says thank God, and then he walks away. And then that's – and you know – he does keep it very ambiguous how he does feel about it. He's gay. Of course, later, <laughs> you know. But, you know, I, I, either way, even though, you know, there is a difference between he's gay and he wants to have a three-way with his best friend and his girlfriend, too, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that scene, and I'm not really ready to talk about it. I think, you know, I, I don't know. My main problem, I guess, with Chasing Amy is that it does, again, feel like it doesn't really understand Alyssa. And, yeah, I know you. And I get that. I mean, Kevin Smith is obviously making movies that are about the sort of male heterosexual or fake heterosexual experience in the suburbs of New Jersey in you know, the late 80s and 90s. And yeah, I, yeah, it's all fine, and I get that. Uh, I don't necessarily find that all that interesting over three movies. And the other thing as well, of course, is that Alyssa is a primary motivator for a lot of the action in the movie. And while the movie, I think, is a bit respectful of her reality, and I think it's, you know, this this yeah. is not, it's it's not a coincidence and it is not unimportant that this is the first Kevin Smith movie that has large portions of it set in set and set. In New York City. Oh, yeah. You know, because I mentioned in Clerks, like, why don't they just go to New York? And, you know, yeah. people don't go to New York. But the implication being that uh, uh, you go to New York if you want to get away from uh, what New Jersey is like. And the reason why you want to get away from New Jersey is because you want to suck cock. Or, you know, you want... Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, it's, just, I mean, they... it's it's. I guess it kind of makes sense. But, you know, and I, I guess you have to think about it in terms of what New York was like in 1997 because I moved there in 98 when I was 17. Yeah. And, you know, it was still scary to people. Yeah. You, you could know, have it, gone to Meowmix back then. It was still open at that point. Yeah. And, I, you know, and that's the other thing, too, is, I mean, there really are no lesbian bars left, which is another thing, which is strange. But, yeah, I mean, I think that, that you have to put that in context, too, because New York is kind of a character in the movie. I yeah. think that the places are kind of characters in this movie where, you know, Red Bank, New Jersey is a character and that represents uh, well, I, so, one thing and New York yeah. represents another thing. I would say that – see, I, I, I had actually forgotten that they lived in Red Bank. I remembered them as living in Hoboken, which is about a 20-minute train ride to the city. Yeah, it's right uh, across – it's right – if you don't – yeah, if you don't know the geography of New York and why would you, um, Hoboken is directly across the Hudson yeah. River from Manhattan. Red Bank, it's more of a couple-hour train ride. I mean it's possible to get back and forth, you know, but like even driving is going to be a long – they're probably going to get home at like 2.33 a.m. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and then also it was weird because they went out in the city and then they had a meeting in the city, but they drove home and then yeah. drove back. It's like <laughs> why would you do that? But anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I don't – and that's another reason I think maybe it would have been nicer to have had an editor because you know to keep track of shit like that yeah. but but I, I i would say that you know holden is a character who is torn between he is on the cusp of a lot of things and one being that you know ch- you know youth to adulthood he's at the point where his childhood and you know friend of his 20s now he's 28 you know and their relationship is starting to change and they're not sure if it's going to thrive that, you know, he's going from just a dude who made a comic to somebody whose work is going to make a lot of money on a network TV show. Uh, He is, and I see the staying in Red Bank as, 
you know, he wants to get the city. He wants access to the city because in this in this movie's world, you know, Red Bank is very convenient to the city. Um, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, I, I I I think that's all we got. We just got to pretend, you know, that it is, you know, but and yet he's not actually committing to it. He's not actually living in 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 there. It's. I mean, it's given the success that he's supposed to be having, he can't live in New York. I mean, that's especially given that his social life is starting to be there. You know, it, it's about you know him. Red Bank is a symbol of him not being able to fully jump into something or accept something. He still has to, you know, worry about it. Well, and, and that's why I think it's so interesting that that when Alyssa and he do start going out, that Alyssa spends. I mean, you know, yeah. Banky says that Alyssa is spending a lot of time. In their apartment, although and and so yeah. you know, there's this implication that Alyssa went off to New York to be a lesbian, and then when she wants to get back into a heterosexual romance, she starts spending a lot more time where she grew up. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a symmetry in that. Again, at that point, she's still hiding her, you know, who she's dating from her friends. So it's almost implied that you know she's avoiding them in New Jersey. So you know, she needs to be closeted in New Jersey, you know, and you know, go out to be a lesbian life and be who she is. But now she's having the ironic position of needing to go into New Jersey to come out. Did Kevin Smith ever live in New York or ever spend any time in New York? I, I, that's the only question Probably I have. Probably not. No, it's, it, I mean, it is, it seems, ver- it seems a, he seems to have a very, uh, very uh, Jersey view of New York. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which I mean, I guess makes sense, but you know, New York is the, New York is the weird place where you go to do things that you don't want people in your hometown to know you're doing. It's not really a place to it's live. A it's a playground. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, which is part of the reason why I left New York. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. One of the big reasons, and I, I think I said this at the beginning of Clerks, but I wanted to show you specifically, but our audience at home, where I came from. I mean, and I figured this is the best way of, you know, talking about. You know, again, my region where I grew up, the social class that I grew up in, the you know kind of environment that I came from and having watched this movie as an adult I would say that I am glad this movie exists because again it may not be the most progressive movie it may have problems it may not be the best movie but if a bunch of schmucks from New Jersey watched this movie and came from it feeling you know a little more comfortable with gay people and I think this movie at least makes them out to again the movie may, you know humanizes you know the two gay characters that it has in it and uh makes them out to not be scary and kind of it ex- it's interesting because i know a lot of one of the so on the internet you know how there's all this you know misogyny and stuff on the internet uh, i'm aware of that <laughs> yeah. yeah but i mean I, I there is a lot that's you know I, I've read a lot, and I think along these lines too, is that, you know, saying something like, oh, there need to be more women in, you know, in video games, or, you know, we need to have more black characters in video games, or, or whatever. Um, saying that people are still in a binary mindset where you can only have a black character or a white character, and so it feels like, you know, we're flipping it and just having an erasure of the white characters when, you know, everybody with the brain is saying, well, no, we're just making more comics, more video games, you know, more stuff for people. Um, and I guess I feel like this movie, except, you know, it understands that some of the fear that's coming out of that is a fear of inadequacy. It understands the place from which homophobia and misogyny do come from. It doesn't condone either of them. 
but it, I think it begins to show it shows an angle from which to begin to approach someone dealing with their own feelings of homophobia because well and the movie does start to delve into that a little yeah. bit especially in that scene with uh holden and and uh what's the what's the gay character's name hooper hooper um they have ridiculous names by the way uh it's a kevin smith movie it's like he took all of his naming conventions from like star wars which I well guess is i mean probably part of, part of the point yeah but but uh, uh, you know like he you know Hooper says in that one scene where Hooper is this character very weird character and I think maybe yeah. this is a good opportunity for us to talk about him because you know the the movie starts out with Hooper doing this whole black power shtick he writes and draws this comic book about some sort of it's basically a super powered Malcolm X yeah it's some sort of like Black Panther Malcolm X or something and and it's totally a, a you know it's totally a gag I mean he pulls out a fake gun and shoots it you know it's it's this whole like scene that that yeah. doesn't play well, very well and I think it's a little weird yeah but but it obviously is I mean I think that that it was the right call to have it be like a joke and not be well, real because that would have been a little too far and I think that there is some stuff in there about you know, that's the thing about Kevin okay. Smith is that uh, uh, you know this is the first black character that's ever been in one of his movies. Yeah, well, I, I uh, because again, and welcome to New Jersey, <laughs> which is not as you know, frankly, it's nowhere near as fucking white as Oregon is. Jesus, but you know, it's it's the suburbs. Jesus yeah. wasn't white, but anyway. uh, um, the characters I would say. The character of Hooper. So yes, he 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 has this you know militant black power character who is you know fighting the man and you know and I think he I think the comic is called White Hating Coon actually. So you know it's this exaggerated uh, you know and you know that's the that's the image that he has when he's speaking at conventions. At the beginning, they're at a minority comics panel and he's you know talking about well this is a positive role model for you know black children and he, he goes into this. You know, it's this – it's, again, one of those pop culture conversations that Kevin Smith loves to do. But, you know, talking about Lando's the one – you know, Lando's a black character in Star Wars. He's not a good role model. Yeah. Darth Vader, played by James Earl Jones, wearing a black thing. He takes off his helmet and he's a white man. He's – you know, it's an exaggerated comic version of, you know, some very real issues. And then when – you know, they finish the gag and he drops his persona and reveals his real self. He is a flaming black dude and he is gay man and he is, you know, saying that he's putting on that persona because that's what the publisher wants. That's what sells. And so he's putting on an act and he frankly has a lot of very sharp things to say about how, uh, you know, the black community does not really necessarily feel comfortable with gay men, especially effeminate gay men. Yeah, they still don't. Yeah, and, I think, you know- and so it, it, it it's interesting how he's – it's a double quadruple satire both on the black power movement and about his – in a way, I would say that is a deep-seated des- desire to be able to be proud of who he is and to be strong and tough. I mean if you – Obviously, superheroes for many people are a wish fulfillment fantasy. That was the entire point of the Stanley cameo in uh, Mallrats, and so I think he's a very interesting character because he is a character who has some genuine rage, who is masking it in these weird ironies and things which, in a way, may denigrate the very things that he's trying to get dignity for, but he doesn't really know how to get that. Yeah, and the movie is sort of really, uh, it's, it's, I think it's, it's raising questions that it's not really prepared yeah. to answer because, you know, when I started talking about him. There's this scene where Hooper and ben Holden. Yes. 
what is with these names? Seriously, <laughs> I hate them so much. There is, you know, and so they're in a record store or CD store or whatever, you know, if you're under the age of 30, go look it up. And they're, they're shopping for, for CDs. And this kid is there with a comic book that, that um, Hooper wrote and he goes over and he does his black power stick and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and he then, points to Holden. He's like, he's the devil. He's, right. He's the enemy. You know? But you know, he is. And yeah. it's fair. And <laughs> then he, he does this thing where he's like, I don't understand why people are so afraid of gay men. And it's a really, really interesting thing for the movie to say because the movie just drops it. It doesn't really yeah. ever uh, talk about it again or, or, or sort of an- try to answer the question or, or examine it in any way. And, you know, I think that that uh, uh, it's a valid question. I don't yeah. know that it's one I necessarily want to get into on this podcast. I mean, but, it's the kind – But I think that, you know, it's it's interesting because I want to see – the movie about Hooper. Like I, I don't, yeah. Hooper's a really interesting character. I think that he's probably the character that is most treated with respect in this movie. Mm-hmm. Not to say that Alyssa or Banky or Holden are not treated with respect. Although I think that Alyssa skirts the line between treated with respect and not treated with respect. But it is a, a weird thing that Hooper is the most interesting character in the movie. He's kind of the voice of re- Yeah. He's certainly the voice of reason. I mean, yeah, I, well, because I think I, well, really what it comes down to is that Hooper is the only character that has examined all of his neuroses and come mm, away yeah. with some sort of you know a, a healthy outlook on life. You know, Alyssa still has a lot of baggage surrounding what she did as a teenager and a young woman. She still is very segmented and sort yeah. of closed off in different sections of her life when she's with her lesbian friends or when she's with Holden or when she's with her parents or when she's back in New Jersey or when she's in New York. You know, Banky obviously is just fucked up as much as anybody can be who's doesn't even know they're gay. And, you know, Holden is just kind of a clueless straight guy. He and, needs to grow up. Right. And so that's why I kind of, you know, Hooper is, and, you know, again, it is kind of problematic because you could argue that, that Hooper is kind of the magical Negro character in this movie. But... On the other hand, I mean, I would say he has a very specific kind of irony about the whole situation. About his, you know, that that one scene when you know Holden is saying, you know, well, she's had group sex, and he's, you know, Holden's yeah. like, oh my god, you're, you know, just, you know, in, in a way, he's a little, he is detached from the situation. This is a, you know, he he does he is able to be the kind of Greek chorus or to be able to see it outside because this is something which affects Holden, Banky, and Alyssa. You know, Hooper just introduced the two of them, sure. so and he knows both of them very well. He see, you know. For him, you know, when I mean, I think it's funny that he says, you know, you just need to talk to her about this and, you know, deal with the situation. What Hooper obviously meant is the two of them are going to be at home and he's going to say, look, I heard this rumor. This is really freaking me out. Like, what's happened? And she's going to say, look, I had a bit of, you know, experimental. But, you know, they're not going to be in a hockey game fighting. You know, they're going to have a conversation and whether they get through with it or not, they would have it as adults. You know, I think it's funny that Hooper's flaw is that he doesn't realize how dumb his friends are in a way. Well, not even that they're... Or, that, or how dumb, you know, Holden I, is about I, I, I don't think dumb is the right word. I just think that they're not mature about it. They're not adults. I guess I mean, they I mean are, dumb in a clueless kid way. They're, yeah. yeah, they're adults in, in age, but they're not adults in outlook or personality or sort of maturity level. And yeah, I think that that's kind of, you know, Hooper... Uh, I don't know, Hooper's kind of... Is, older than the rest of them, too. 
Uh, I mean, like, I don't think so. He's not. He doesn't look noticeably older. But I mean, like, maybe a couple years. But I, I don't think they're so. they're twenty-seven. He's thirty-two. That could be enough. Maybe, yeah. I don't think he's supposed to be that old. But, but I think it's not really relevant. Yeah, no, way. I, I, yeah. I, I, but I, you know, that is to say that I do like the character, but at the same time, I find the character problematic of because, course. you know, for me, I was glad that he was in the movie. I mean, I had seen Chasing Amy before, you know, a few years ago, but I didn't remember tons about it because I only saw it once. Yeah, and didn't really like it. Uh, so. The thing is, like, he also is a problematic character for me because while he is interesting, he's also uh, he is the, the the reason I like him is because he's saying what I want to say to these people. Like, I'm sitting here yeah. watching these this, these movies with Richard and rolling my eyes and looking at him and making snide comments about the things they're saying and doing. <laughs> and you know, Hooper is the character that's also doing that, but he's doing it to the characters in the movie so they can hear him. So yeah. I love him for that. But at the same time. It's he's he's serving a very specific purpose and he's not yes. he's not a person in and of himself. And so that's kind of a problem. Yeah. I, I Kevin Smith is very, very interested in having characters fulfill specific roles yeah. in his movies. And I mean that's it is particularly because he does have you know in a way his movies are fairly hyper focused. There's a lot of stuff going around them, but this movie is very tight on you know, Holden and Alyssa. I would say even Banky is a little much more of a secondary character. Oh yeah, than I, he needs than he you know may could be you know because the you know the movie. I mean, frankly, I don't think Banky needs to be in the movie at all. There, I, yeah, I don't really know what he adds to the movie other than fair. a sort of strange. You know, problem between you know some sort of strange obstacle for for Alyssa and Holden to get over. Yeah, you know? exactly. The you know Affleck's character arc. Maybe this. I don't know if it just needs the ending, but yeah, that that's a fair point. I feel like the movie could have made him more of a person, but I mean, because that you know the movie, you know the moment when he's saying, you know, look, my job is to make you know take care of you, and you know, make like there are moments when he is you know affirming his friendship to to Holden that he seems like the most like a person, you know, yeah. And, you well, know, and I think it's clear that there's a lot of points where he's just being this crass asshole to, you know, as, as a defense mechanism and stuff. And there, you know, again, the well, yeah, because I think, you know, it, you know, the, the script is, you know, it, it is well constructed in some parts because the movie starts. You in, they introduce the character of Banky by having that weird argument with the guy at the at the comic yeah. convention about him being a tracer and about him just not doing anything and just you know tracing what the the real guy who draws it is and so he obviously has a huge chip on his shoulder yeah. about that yeah he's the in a way he's you know sacrificing himself to be the sidekick uh, you know and because of his devotion and love for holden and not getting anything back and yes, and frankly, I don't know why he likes Holden so much because that beard is horrible. It but... was 1997, Eric. Oh, boy. Um, and also, Ben Affleck was like 27, and he looked like he was about 40. Oh, like... It was that sweater. Oh, the cable knit sweater. Uh, yeah, uh, good uh, Lord. Uh, 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 uh. Well, let's, I, let's talk about Alyssa because yeah, we haven't really talked had... about her that much. And yeah, I think it's for a very specific reason because she's not a character. She's an obstacle. Yeah, I, there there's moments... There's moments where I think there is realization that, you know, these two, Holden and Banky, are in a horrible movie and everybody who's going to be around them is just going to be in a car crash because these two are in a bad movie. And sometimes other characters have, you know, moments where, when she's leaving the apartment at the end, she realizes the movie she's in finally and yeah. just needs to get the fuck out of there. And she's had this, re- you know, and that's, of course, when she gets her success at the end. I mean... I thought one of my favorite moments of this movie is when they're ha- they're in the office of like the publisher 
and Banky's saying something, and they show, like, there's this really quick aside glance from the receptionist who looks at them like, what the fuck are they saying? And right, like, right. Gives it this disgusting look. And, like, I love that moment because she has an entirely different life, you know? She's an adult, you know? She's gonna go home and say to people, like, oh, my God, there is the two horrible people, the people that work, you know, that my office, you know, signs, whatever, and that's her life, you know? Right, and, and, right. And she's... But she doesn't have to deal with any of their shit. You know, Alyssa is somebody who kind of gets drawn into this world of shit and doesn't really realize it until, you know, Holden starts to become a huge asshole and, you know, he can't let her be a person. I think she is. Yeah, that's the primary problem I have with it is that the movie doesn't allow her to be a person. She is an obstacle for Holden. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's that's fine, I guess. But it's also a very, very hard thing to do when you're trying to make a movie that is not falling into the trap of, you know, othering women falling into a trap of misogyny. And Smith doesn't want to do either of those because. Again, there are a lot of conversations in this, in other movies, where he's actually talked to a woman and had a conversation to her and listened to what he had to say. Um, this uh, one of there's there's a woman named Gwen Turner who is a friend of his who is a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she did American Psycho among other things, and you know this movie partially there it's inspired by a scene from a screenplay she had written. She has a cameo in this movie, so I mean it's very clear that Kevin Smith has has friends who are women and. You know, he does not judge a person's sexuality. He is not he, – he, he's the kind of – the movie I would – Oh, yeah. I mean everything that I've – everything yeah. that I've seen about – you know, and heard and read about Kevin Smith as a person. Yeah. He's a very nice man. He's very progressive. He's got a lot of different types of people as friends in his life. I, 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 I guess I guess one of no I guess my thing is and, I, and I'm not saying that in sort of a condescending way like he's no, no, checking no, 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 off no, no, all no, no, the little no, no. check boxes I think he really like is he, just a he, decent guy I would say you know a lot of again if there are moments that Alyssa doesn't quite have the agency she ought to I would say it's partially shortcomings because you know I don't think necessarily Smith is as able to escape from the trappings of genre as he wants to or structure. For example, yes. I, 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 I think it's possible that she ends up becoming an uh, an obstacle in her own movie because that's, you know, what women roles in Hollywood are, you know. That's what the romantic lead for, female lead for a male-focused romantic comedy, that's what happens. I don't think he's quite able to transcend that and give her the character that she needs to be. It's true. Yeah. And partially, I again, I think that is a little bit of the point because she is a character who can't be fully fixed because Holden is really trying to fix her to be something else. In a way, I think this is one of those movies that, you know, wants to see her as – you know, the main character wants to see her as the manic pixie dream girl. I mean, but she's not and she kind of resents being put into that box and at the end she leaves and does her own shit. I mean, the year that she's had – at the end of the movie is implied to be a very good one for her. Yeah, no, yeah. She I mean, she she seems to be very successful at the end of the movie and and Holden doesn't seem to be very successful yeah, at the end of the movie. But I think that, you know, that's going back to your to your point at the very beginning of the podcast when you said you wish that Chasing Amy had been, you know, sort of handed off to another yeah. writer and director. Because I think that there would have been ways to uh, subtly indicate uh, you know, sort of a more even-handed view of Alyssa, you know, through sh- through shot choices and through yeah. you know, angles and things like that. 
that a better director would would perhaps have done. You know, Kevin Smith is just a very, very workmanlike director, yeah. and I don't really get a sense that. I mean, certainly he. I, I'm assuming that he understands that you don't need to do a two shot where each character goes back and forth when they're having their, you know, they say a line of dialogue. So the camera's on hold and then Alyssa talks and the camera's on her. Then, you know, you don't have to do that, (laughs) but, but there's no indication that Kevin Smith is thinking outside of the box and his directing in this movie at all. And so I think that that's really what the problem is, is he's got a very interesting script. He's obviously a, a writer who can get to the heart of some things that I don't think people are that comfortable yeah. in talking about yeah. or making movies about, but it's all kind of on the surface level. And I think that he forgets that film is also a visual medium yeah. and that there are ways to enhance a story or enhance the themes that you're trying to, uh, you know, examine through the camera as well as through the dialogue. Hell, maybe this story would have been better if it had, I, again, we, you know, we talked about maybe if it had been a play. If this had been just a play taking place entirely in their apartment, uh, you know, maybe it would have been more effective, you know. It, it could have just been. Fo- and, and that way, you know, you really can just focusing on the three characters and Hooper, you know, can come from time to time. But, you know, yeah, you know, shift the focus of the action in that. That might be interesting. Right, and I also think it would have it would have made the movie identify or made the story identify yeah. with Alyssa a little more because you know I, I think that's one of the things that the movie you know that, uh, that when, when I'm talking about shot choices when I'm talking about the directing of the movie one of the things that aggravates me about it is you know if you want to make this about Holden and if you want to make this a movie about how Holden is viewing Alyssa that's fine yeah make that movie but even when things are happening and Holden is like actually literally watching Alyssa do something. The camera is not necessarily interested in showing his point of view of Alyssa. It's much more interested in focusing on Holden. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of the scene where he finds out that she's a lesbian in the bar and she's making out with yeah. her girlfriend or, 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 well, maybe not her girlfriend because I don't think that they're like together. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know, it doesn't really matter. Her but, latest conquest. Right, and Holden is watching. The camera stays on Holden and he's got this sort of shocked look on his face. And I think that that's part of the problem with it as well is it's it's got some weird, like, I mean, and I have, choices there. I have to say that... Um, this is one of those movies. Now, obviously, this movie is generally billed as that movie where Ben Affleck falls in love with a lesbian. Now, it's a bit more complex than that, and I understand why it's you know portrayed as the one or the other, you know, than the other because the first one doesn't really fit onto a you know onto a blurb as well. But they really play the she's a lesbian thing as a surprise and a secret for a long ass time. It's not that long. Though. I, mean, I think it, it's like twenty minutes. But still, like it, it was the kind of thing where I, I, I guess it. I don't know. It kind of went out as like, "What's the deal with her? Something weirds going on. I wonder what it is. What does Hooper say? You know, that kind of a thing. I don't know. You and know, I think, yeah. And I think too. To, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you, and I kind of disagree with you. But I think that you kind of have to look at it. I mean, I'm going to kind of defend the movie now. I think Good. A little bit because you've was, fallen into my trap. Well, yeah. I mean, it was 1997, and I think that nowadays, yeah, you know, someone's like, oh, I'm actually a lesbian. I think Holden be like, oh, all right, yeah, that's you know. True. And and 20 years ago, obviously, he had a very different reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I think that's part of it too. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, though, I, I don't 
I don't know what I was supposed to really get out of this movie. I think, you know, but, it's it's an interesting historical artifact. Yeah, I mean, this I, is... I don't... You know, because the thing is, like, even with the Lissa, you know, the movie doesn't do... That's my problem, I think, really with how the movie doesn't identify with Alyssa, because Alyssa is a very confused, conflicted character yeah. who has made a lot of choices, and while she says she's okay with them, she's obviously not. Yeah. She's obviously compartmentalizing her life and her well, romantic life and her friends and all of these things, and she's sort of, like, telling them different things. And I think that she subconsciously realizes that that Holden would not be okay. I mean, the whole thing about finger cuffs well, and how I she, to, I wanna, she, a, no, guy, we, a guy had sex with we her need to talk, her while I he was, ask she, if, she was blowing him. Like or, That scene know. I think is important. No, it, it's a little important though because that is a very odd scene in that – you know, now you have to be specific. They don't show that. No, no, you're it, talking it's a about the scene where they're arguing outside of the hockey game. Part that, and also the uh, bank. Uh, Banky meets a friend. Who, he meets one of the guys who's in that, and he gives. Yeah. he delivers a monologue yeah. about it. Um, so a couple of things you said. She compartmentalized that. I mean, when she when she talks about the scene, she said, "No, I used them. You know, I wanted to do that. And you know, yeah." And I wanted I, to bring that up. I, I did. Think that's I did it all. I was an experimental girl. You know, and all of that. And while I do not doubt that, you know, Alyssa had a lot of sex that she enjoyed and wanted to do and was experiment, and, you know, there was part of her that probably was curious at that particular moment. She was a young, you know, she was young. She was, you know, a curious person. Um, there is also the fact that, you know, when they're talking about. Wait for the sequel. I am curious, Alyssa. <laughs> what? Um, Richard doesn't get film <laughs> humor. Um. A little bit about the way that scene is described. Um, so they, she's hanging out with Rick Darris, well, who, ba- when... who is the uh, you know uh, the infamous Rick Darris. Well, let's cut to the well, let's yeah. cut to the chase. When Banky is retelling the story, it, it cuts to the guy who I think had sex with Alyssa telling yes. the story, and they make it sound like she was essentially raped. He says he took his dick out, began rubbing around on her. He started chasing her around the room. Then get this, she went to her knees, started blowing him. You know, he, you know, Rick Darris, it says, pulls off her pants, and then I start fucking her. She cons- says that's consensual. It doesn't really quite sound it. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where I don't think that she would ever say that she was raped in that situation. And yet, yes. I don't, you know, it, it, it's not a good memory. When he, the second he, you know, she ha- the fact that this is the nickname that she puts in her yearbook is very significant because you you know obviously this story was all around school the next day yeah you know this is the kind of thing that everybody started calling her and you wonder if she, why she submitted that as her nickname yeah well the only kind of way that 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 stories like that can really go around in high school like I, this is I mean this is kind of an aside but I remember um, I think when I was a senior in high school uh, I, I like. I don't even know what happened, but it was like a friend of mine and I, like we got into like a, we were like chasing another group of like high school uh, guys from my school, like in a car. Like we were just like having like a chase through the streets. No, I'm not, I'm serious. Like this happened. Yeah. 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 Like having, I mean, it wasn't like a high speed chase. Was it like a fun chase or like, yeah, yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah. It was like a fun, I think it was like there were water guns involved. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the kind of stuff he did. (laughs) And it was just like, you know, and so I remember like we were going a little too fast in downtown Wilmington, you know, in cars. So 40 miles per hour. I don't think we were going that fast, (laughs) you know, and then like, 
the, at the end, it was like towards the end of the school year. And like the next day when I went into school, uh, you know, I remember like just passing guys in the hall and just, you know, they would be like, oh my God, like what happened? You yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. And it's just yeah. like how stories like that yeah. go. My, my point is that, that she, stories like that yes. get spread through a high school extremely quickly. I mean, the, you know, the implication is that she is a legend. I mean, they mentioned it to, you know, Janie immediately knows who she is. You know, this, this is somebody that, you know, yeah. has gotten around, but, um, you know, yeah, you could see her almost putting that as a defiant, like a badge of pride, but she doesn't really seem happy about it. And the second, you know, he mentions it, she knows exactly the conversation she's about to have. And it's, you know, Joey Lauren Adams isn't the greatest actor, actress, but moments like that, I would say, are very good because she is very subtle about She's very reaction. subtle. She 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 can't really play big very well. I mean, yeah. I think that when they're arguing and she's screaming and stuff, it's a yeah. little over the top. But and uh, uh, admittedly, that's partially her voice, which you know, I I, I don't like her her scream. But that's you know, that's fine. That's that's aesthetics. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with you, and I think that that that's kind of my. I think the the failing of the movie ultimately is that yeah, I, I, the the movie is. The movie is obviously sort of has a very particular viewpoint about and Kevin Smith has has transcended Holden. You know, if you say, OK, Holden is the, the, the yes. Kevin Smith stand in for this movie. This is Kevin Smith of two years ago, X number of years ago. And he is a more evolved person now. He's more understanding. He's maybe, you know, dated a, a bisexual woman. I mean, I don't know. What, well, what apparently was, part. Well, anyway, but yeah, no, but I think, you know, it doesn't really matter. But I think essentially what it comes down to is this is a movie designed for the Kevin Smith of five years ago. And the Alyssa character is a little too damaged. They make her out to be a little too conflicted for, for the movie to really be comfortable. I think that Alyssa should have perhaps been a little less damaged and it would have come across a little better. And I, I, you know, it's okay to have that kind of damaged character in a movie. I'm not saying it's not, but you have to be prepared to it weakens this honor. Movie, yeah. yeah, you have to be prepared to honor that character. You have to be prepared to really treat that character as a person. And this movie doesn't really do that. So why why put it in here at all? And I think it just it, it really speaks to the fact that you said earlier where Kevin Smith, you know, perhaps needed to have someone else look at this script. I guess one of my big questions about this movie uh, is about the very end of it. In a lot of ways, again, this is about the meta, you know, Clerks was this weird indie success. You yes. Know. Yeah, there's a lot of that. Mallrats happened, and that was this huge, big budget thing that, you know. That's was, the whole That's the whole line uh, when Jay and Silent Bob finally show up in the movie, uh, you know, where he's talking about Snoochie Boochies. Who talks like that? I yeah. know. That was. But, you know, he, he, he made this big thing that does, ha- you know, obviously the difference between Mallrats and Blunt Man and Chronic is that the latter is actually a modest success. Um, yeah. But. You know, either way, you know, Holden feels conflicted about his, you know, oh, I'm selling out. And I do like that they give Alyssa the, you know, oh, poor you, you know, line about that, you know, because, yeah. you know, that, that that is that that's the response that he needs when he's worried about that. But at the end, he has made this, you know, personal comic again. And, you know, this is ostensibly the story of his and Alyssa's relationship. So he goes to. You know, he has a moment of, you know, reconciliation with Banky, and then he goes to her and he gives her the comic. So, 
one of the things that inspired this movie's making was that Kevin Smith and Joey Laura and Adams dated for a little while. Okay. Um, now, she had had more life experience, not necessarily sexual. He lived in Jersey his whole life. She had traveled, apparently, like that kind of stuff. And so, you know, basically the— So she, had, she went to Connecticut? Essentially, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, but basically, you know, he had a similar situation where he felt inadequate and, you know, that fucked up the relationship. So yes. this movie is essentially the apologia to her for this. Now, from what I've known, she had no problems being in the movie. You know, it, it, it's not like the movie hit too close to home or creepy or anything like that. But so, Mike, when I, when I saw this movie when I was a teenager— he hands her the comic, they have an exchange, and I left thinking that they, that was both of them, you know, thinking, oh, you know, what a nice memory that was. We had a good time. Now watching this, I have a very different read on her in this, and I wanted to get what your take on her in the last bit of the movie was, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, and I think it's an interesting question. Because I, I think that's kind of one of the cruxes of the movie, maybe. Well, I think that it really comes down to the last line that Holden says to her, because I think that he goes a bit too far where he, he's saying, here's the comic. Yeah. Read it. I hope you read it. Like, I hope you're okay. Like, but you know, and then he says, maybe you give me a call and we can discuss it. Right. And I think that, yeah, what w- what I think is kind of problematic about the ending. If, if it is, is that Alyssa has, has, has appeared to go back to her lesbian life uh, she appears to have sort of excised this relationship from her, this, the narrative of herself, right? And it doesn't seem to me, she's got like a very different hairstyle. Yeah. You know, she's she's still making the same comic, but... She's frankly just a little more adult in that scene too, like in general, I yeah, would say. And I think that Holden seems to have been kind of stuck in yeah. what he had been for the past year. It seems like he had a very bad year and he sort of essentially ended his his friendship and his creative partnership with, with Banky. And he made this comic about Alyssa, perhaps, and and it seems like it's just a little too. It's kind of stalkery, actually. And yeah, okay, good. And, that's and, that's that's where I went with that. And I think at the very end of it, I think Alyssa realizes that, and I think that there's no possible way yeah. that she's going to call him. And I think that <laughs> she may have thrown that comic in the trash. That's okay. Yeah, cause, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think about the scene where. You know, she say, you know, she she says a couple times like, "I did all that. That was my past, and now I've decided, you know, and now I'm done. I got that out of my system, and now here I am." You right, know? right. And it's funny because I think of her having that same kind of moment, like, "Whoa, I got I got him out of my system too." I mean, I think it's very interesting. Not only got, I think I think you could make the argument that the relationship with Holden, you know, pushed her to deal with a lot of the things that. You know, she she hadn't really dealt with. Yeah, well, she you know, you know it, she, it's possible she was in therapy for a year, and now she's like you know wonderful. Speaking of therapy, I feel really bad for the fact that Caitlin Bree being committed is a throwaway joke, but that's a different story. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, you know, you, you she has that interesting line at the beginning when you know she first talks to you know they're on the playground and she's saying you know I want us to be friends yeah. you know and I like you I haven't liked a man in a while most of the men I met have immediately fallen into a stereotype of some sort yeah and I you you know over the course 
of the movie, we get a sense of why she decided to exclusively date women. You know, you could see her as a teenager having, you know, sex with these dudes and finding out, like, it's Rick Darris and Coey London. And, you know, the sex with women that she's having is, you know, with Caitlin, her best friend, and Brandy, Randy Svenning. And, you know, we it, – it, it's – portrayed as much more fun much more intimate much more much less threatening yeah I think. let's not forget that i mean you know I, I don't have any personal experience with this of course because you know i'm a gay man and i, I don't date women but you know I, I have definitely read you know a lot of articles um you know from from women and from feminists and all, you know all types of women that that basically say that you know um there's a well. What's that whole that that thing about you know uh, men fear that women will laugh at them and women fear that men will kill them. Yeah. Like and so I think that there is a real sort of understatedness to this movie where Alyssa is bisexual. Let's say that she's bisexual because I think that the movie kind of goes in that direction. You know, and she decides to essentially round it up to lesbianism because. Perhaps she doesn't like men as much. She doesn't relate to them as much, but also because, frankly, women are less threatening than men. I mean, it's a case of like, you know, if every time you drink milk, you get sick, you're going to stop drinking milk, even if you like it, you know? Yeah. Um, Melissa, so are you like saying that guys are milk? I mean, the, uh, the that, metaphor that is obvious. Is, is, is lactose intolerance for milk for, for men? Yes. Okay. All right. I'll go with that. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moments in this where watching this with the post-Gamergate 2016 mindset, there are certain moments, the, the car when he is confessing his love to her, the fact that when they're underground in the parking lot after the hockey game, where I can't feel her pe- – I can't picture her feeling 100% safe. Yeah. You know, that's the – you know, her disgust when he confesses his love is basically – this guy's falling in, you know, here she thought this was somebody who respected her and she was going to have just a friendship with. Yeah. And, you know, oh, God, like everybody else, he's fucking in love with me in a yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that that was a uh, – and uh, the ending especially. I think I, – I think Alyssa does have ultimately the understanding that, no, he is not going to, you know, Holden in this particular case is not going to hurt her. He's going to maybe annoy her, but, you know, he's not going to, you know, be a dangerous stalker in many cases at the end. You know, if she never calls him, he's never going to, you know, she's never going to see him again kind of a thing. But, you know, at the same time, yeah, he's doing stuff that's, it's a he little doesn't scary. know how to do it. It's a little scary. Yeah. Frankly. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Alyssa has made a decision to leave that behind, and I think she's probably made the correct decision for herself. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that, you know, the movie is maybe the, – the ending is maybe a little, you know, atypical for, for what has come for the two hours before. Yeah. Because the movie at the end seems to have put all the characters in a very different place than you perhaps thought they yeah. were going to be in. Both Alyssa and Banky have begun to thrive without Holden and, you know, found their own places Whole, you know, and and have moved on, and have you know become adults. You know, it's it's yeah. you know many of Smith's characters have refused to grow up. You know, but in Clerks, both of them, you know, both Dante and Randall end in the state of arrested development. In Mallrats, everybody gets a happy ending, but you know, whatever. In this, you know, yeah, Banky and Alyssa get the what's Mallrats exactly. Uh, Banky and Alyssa get to grow up and become adults, and you know, have careers, and you know we assume have happy lives and Holden just is stuck. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And that's kind of a tragic note to end it on. It is, but we're not stuck. No, 
because we have some housekeeping to do, but then we will announce what's coming for the next season of Trek About Presents. So just bear with us for two minutes while we take care of some stuff. Yeah, so the housekeeping is going to be mopping because everything's like sticky on the floor and then we won't be stuck. So if you have any thoughts on Chasing Amy, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of Track About Presents at trackaboutshow.com. Uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, uh, where you can find all the cool perks you can get. And also, uh, one of the things that everyone has really seemed to be enjoying very much is the special patron episodes that we do once a month. I enjoy them. I enjoy them, too. And we enjoy Aww. recording them for you. For the May uh, patron special, we're going to be talking about the Klingons. Mm. You don't want to miss that. We've also done things like what our thoughts are on Star Trek 2017, the Brian Fuller show. We've done a special episode just on Love Walks on a Troy. So Troy lovers. Which I think was actually my favorite one so far. I love Troy. We could do another one. On Love Walks on a Troy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please go to patreon.com slash track about show and uh, get it, support the show if you feel so inclined. Uh, you can also find us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Track About Show. And finally, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Track About Show and mm. Track About Presents. Mm. But in June, we're going to start the fourth season of Track About Presents, and we are going to talk about first, we're going to talk about Lost in Translation. Really? And then we're going to talk about uh, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters what? 2, and the new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out in O-M-G. July. OMG. So it should be interesting. It should be fun. Uh, Lost in Translations, you know, kind of a weird choice for, for Ghostbusters, but we'll make it thematically work somehow. We were going to do a ghosty comedy, but decided to do a Bill Murray movie instead. Yeah. <laughs> We've done a lot of Bill Murray movies. Have we? Yeah, we've two whole Bill Murray movies. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're going to have to do some of these. Murray uh, about. Murray about. There you go. <laughs> we're just going to do a Bill Murray podcast. He's, in, our li- he's in my living room right now. Um, so, yeah. So, we're going to do that. Uh, that'll be on June 29th is when Lost in Translation comes out. And then uh, after that, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, and the new Ghostbusters movie coming out And Ghostbusters. So, look forward to that. And as well, we also have Trek about. So, don't forget that. We are still in the fourth season of DS9, but we are rapidly getting to the fifth season. Thank you very much for listening to this season of Truck About Presents. Please keep listening to Truck About. Please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. And please drive safely. <laughs>